On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we talk about if men or women's tennis is easier to beat, dealing with the pressure of giving out public plays for free, and how watching an athlete's Instagram page can lead to hidden edges. That and more on today's episode of the 90 Degrees Podcast. Welcome back to the 90 Degrees Podcast. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and I'm excited because today we're talking tennis. If you haven't figured it out, Wimbledon is going on, and I had to get somebody who's an expert in the field. I got Vinny, tennis better and content creator for the Hammer HQ, Ace Previews, and OnlineBetting.com. Vinny, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm just way too excited because this really is such an honor to me to be invited to a podcast um, I've been looking up to all the time. So yeah, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. And sorry for my broken English in advance. No, you are good. Uh, it's the, the honor is for me because you're going to educate me today and a lot of people out there who love tennis and they don't know what they're doing when they're betting it. Uh, I want to know, though, did were you a fan of tennis before you started betting or did your fandom grow as you were betting it? Yeah, so in general, I was a sports fan through and through um, already as a young kid and tennis was one of these sports, yeah. But yeah, um, uh, when I figured out all the basics uh, about betting, like regarding the market, not betting a certain side just for the sake of it and, and so on, and tennis quickly became uh, my favorite sport to bet on as well. Yeah, so first and foremost, I was a fan and then it grew into the betting as well. Can you still watch a tennis game without having a bet on it? I know some people, uh, betting has ruined sports for them that they cannot watch without having money on the line. <laughs> and that's a funny question because for me, it's it's the other way around. I hardly ever watch a match um, I'm financially involved in um, because uh, first, I'm betting super high volume, so it wasn't, wouldn't even be possible. Um, and you watch a match uh, completely differently if you have money on it. So most of most of the times um, I'm watching different matches, even when a match I'm I'm having a bet on is going on simultaneously. Um, yeah, just for the reason that I'm much more relaxed and can analyze players and uh, watch stuff I probably wouldn't uh, watch when I was uh, financially involved in it. So yeah, um, it's much better when I'm indifferent about these players and yeah, that's much more of the norm. For me to not watch a match, I'm on. You said uh, you're betting high volume. What does betting in Germany look like? Like, are there physical sports books? Is it just online? Are there a lot of illegal sports books and bookies? Is, are you betting offshore? For those of us who have no idea what the industry looks like in Germany, tell us. Yeah, so uh, there are physical bookies, but um, really uh, there are only <laughs> like old people that want to grab a drink as well and in general betting in germany is very uneducated so that's why i was always um looking up to you guys and uh, to american twitter as well you have guys like rob or you and a lot of uh, educational people around so in germany really it's different um, and it's also tough because um, it's almost impossible to win even if you know what what you're doing because um, in Germany, the state takes five uh, 5% tax on every winning bet you make. So, uh, yeah, like if you say you uh, place a $100 wager on a plus 100, you only get back 195. 
and we all know how narrow um, the edges are these days and it's almost impossible that's why i'm only um, betting offshore and through partners because otherwise it wouldn't be possible so yeah. maybe one uh, more um there are books that uh, take these taxes um they they pay them for themselves uh, pay for themselves but uh in return they offer much worse odds so that, that's... yeah you're trying to beat an additional vig uh you talk about watching the markets is is that what your style is would you describe yourself as someone who's watching the markets do you originate a mark uh, your own uh, lines and then bet accordingly or or do you break it down to how does this guy match up against this guy yeah so first of all i'm i'm really originating so i do have my own model with all the data like hold percentage break percentage surface rating and all that stuff but yeah, um, the one uh, one on one component in tennis that brings so many more factors in, like you said, uh, matchup styles and uh, yeah, I'm trying to handicap these as well. Um, and I also uh, follow players closely on social media because yeah, other other others only watch the news or injury uh, injuries and health news and through social media you also get get a grip on their personal life a bit of course not too serious but sometimes that's uh, an, uh, like uh, an additional edge to have what do you look um, what are you looking for to find out who's partying too hard the day before the tournament <laughs> yeah partying is one uh, yeah so you probably know nick Kyrgios. yes i do <laughs> um and he really um he has no shame in uh, posting a party picture at 4 a.m. in Mexico. And yeah, he's probably still able to uh, win matches. But if, if you spot a player that's partying with him, that might be um, a player to oppose the next day. Yeah. So yeah, I'm originating, um, but I'm, of course, also following the market. So if, if another uh, sharp better put the line into place already, I'm... I'm not betting it anymore, of course, because yeah, the edge is away. I love that scouring somebody's social media. Um, for those of us who who don't know, like, are you betting just straight up the the money line prices on who's going to win the matchup? Are are there bigger edges within like set betting or, or games? Uh, the spread betting on the spread of how many games a guy is going to win by? Which like how would you describe your ratio of bets within? one tennis match yeah i almost never only got one match uh, one bet on a match um because if there's uh if you see an edge on the money line there probably also is one on the set handicap or uh spread because i'm mostly betting underdogs so i was betting money lines only like a few years ago but it's so stressful because even if your player like steps up and keeps the match close but ultimately loses you'll be there with nothing and often as uh, usually the lines are correlated sorry um so to come away with something i also bet the, the spreads as well yeah are you making notes like while you're watching matchups to pick up on maybe a guy's fatigued or maybe he pulled a hammy he was able to continue the match and win but you just know that that's something that might linger into the next matchup. 
Are you doing that? Like you're watching games to pick up potential future information? Yeah, definitely. So as I uh, said earlier, I'm watching a lot. So not the matches I'm, I'm on, but always try to watch like five, six hours a day doing tape study. And like you say, um, try to pick up something uh, players limping or getting medical timeouts because it's not in the news all the time, especially on the lower tours. So yeah, there can be, that's, that's one of my edges, I think watching following the tour and the players closely one of uh, one of uh another edge that i heard that you have friend of the show drew dinsick says you have an eye for upcoming talent like how are you spotting those players before they become a household name and i imagine the edges are are largest with players like this just because no one's no one's heard of them yeah that's for sure so um i was always um having fun or there was always a <laughs> One of my favorites to spot talent in any sport, like as you know, in Germany we have a big football culture, soccer culture. Sorry, <laughs> and yeah, I was playing FIFA or Football Manager and always scouting these 16-year-old Brazilians or stuff. So, and in tennis it's no different. Um, no one really follows the lower tours, so as you say, it's much easier to find edges and. When the mar uh, the market or even the bookmakers aren't as informed so what i do is i watch as many matches of these youngsters as well as possible and yeah then i'm putting notes like oh that guy has a great serve uh, powerful forehand etc and yeah and then it's it's also some kind of assessment like can they do it on the pro tour are they just dominant on the junior level or can mm -hmm. they really uh, take on the the, the top guys? Uh, yeah, it's a completely different game when you step up to the pro tour. And yeah, a lot of these jun junior top guys just didn't make it to the top in the in the pro tours. Um, whether they're not up to it mentally, you can also watch it on the tape because uh, some crazy juniors uh, is throwing their rackets or so then. I also marked down yeah, mental fragile maybe. And yeah, I have a sheet with all the prospects um, and that gets bigger every day. Um, so yeah, also you asked for the uh, edges. They are of course large, but it's also the same as in every sport, I guess. Um, they, they get destroyed um, quicker and quicker, <laughs> unfortunately. Sure. Well, I want to pick up on two things you said there. Uh, you talked about the mental aspect. Uh, you hear about that in golf, um, where the mental game really comes into play. How much, like what percentage of mental is tennis as opposed to just pure physical attributes? For me, it's it's really a lot. It's, it's not really measurable, but um, yeah, it's also betting on tennis is, is quite special because it's a lot of intuition. Like, also goes into it. Um, there are guys like, yeah, let's stay with Kyrgios, who's who's a hothead, but he can still forget about everything that was before and just carry on. So it's hard to to really say like twenty percent or so. But I really uh, I think it's 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 also speaking of the one one on one uh, component. 
it's really something that has to be regarded. Hey, before we get back to the show, I want to talk about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. Must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available in the U.S. There, uh, you talked about the mental aspect. Uh, you hear about that in golf, um, where the mental game really comes into play. How much, like, what percentage of mental is tennis as opposed to just pure physical attributes? For me, it's it's really a lot. It's it's not really measurable, but um, yeah, it's also betting on tennis is is quite special because it's a lot of intuition that also goes into it. Um, there are guys like, yeah, let's stay with Kyrgios, who's who's a hothead, but he can still forget about everything that was before and just carry on. So it's hard to to really say like twenty percent or so, but I really uh, I think it's 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 also speaking of the one one on one uh, component. It's really something that has to be regarded. Now, uh, there's one thing that's unique about tennis versus a lot of other sports. It's not just the opponent you face. It's the surface you play on. It's different. It's got the that baseball dynamic of no two parks are alike. Like, you could have player A and player B and playing on clay, grass, or hard court, and you, you could, you'd have to have three different handicaps on that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's totally correct. And you had that all the time with uh, like Federer and Nadal. They uh, faced each other in the French Open final, and it was always Nadal winning. And then a few weeks later at Wimbledon, it was like most of the time it was Federer who who won. Um, so yeah. Also, yeah, <laughs> of course it's it's about the style of the player. So with a big serve, you get better on gra on grass because the ball uh, skids through the grass and doesn't bounce uh, too much on on clay you can it's hard to even hit an ace so physics get more and more important on clay and that's why rafa was so successful on it so yeah you always have to yeah check the players and their attributes as well um, exactly because as you say they are totally different on on grass clay or hard courts yeah so, so like a guy like Djokovic, who's an excellent ball striker, so hard to beat on hard courts because he can pinpoint everywhere he puts the ball. But explain to me the dynamics of clay, because for those of us who know tennis at a surface level, we know that there's usually a guy or, or, or a girl who dominate clay courts and nobody can touch them. And, okay, you say aces are hard to come by. What is the bigger um, edge on on clay? Does it come from just pure speed, uh, or does it come from understanding the ball the ball bounces differently? How does how why is Nadal better on clay than anybody who's ever played? What's what part of his skill set uh, creates that? Um, first of all, with Nadal, it was the work ethic, of course. He you have to hit like five, six, seven winners to even get one point against Nadal. Um, so physics, of course, uh, are more important than on any other surface. And with Nadal as well, um, the mental factor also came into place again because 
yeah, he won Roland Garros like six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fourteen times, and then people started to not believe in themselves and how 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 do I even get a set against him? And that also played a role, I think. Uh, there were tournaments in the last two he won where he looked vulnerable, but no one really believed in the, in themselves to even beat him. Yeah, so mental aspect because you have to win rallies more than once, and yeah. that also yeah the physics as well. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people on Twitter who follow tennis and bet on it. They love talking about their futures portfolio. When you walk into a tournament, do you have an extensive portfolio? Like I know with golf, people you know buy on five or six golfers kind of all together and and hope for one of them to win. Are you betting futures entering tournaments? Do you have multiple players? Do you stick to one or two? Um, yeah, so I used to play a lot of futures because, um, yeah, as you say, in golf as well, tournaments are only one or two weeks in tennis. You can get nice hits on these markets on a weekly basis. Um, but yeah, um, this year I haven't been as successful as in the past. So yeah, I recently didn't place too many futures, but when I do, I usually look at the top half, um, down second half and look uh, where, where might be the top favorite. Like if a Djokovic is in there, I try to aim for the other half, um, and look for some dark horse that can make it to the final and yeah that was always my strategy um because yeah you can win on the favorites as well of course but yeah like Djokovic is now um minus I don't know minus 160 or so to win Wimbledon and you never know maybe he he hit a ball person again or stuff like that happens so um, yeah, so I'm usually going for the bigger underdogs, um, and there's also more options on futures markets like to win the quarter or the each way option, if you know that. So if a player makes to the final, you get uh, paid out uh, half half the odds, even if he loses. So yeah, I loved to place tennis futures. I did not do that as frequently uh, recently, but I'm. Speaking of Wimbledon, I'm sitting on two uh, nice futures here because um, on the women's side, I placed um, futures on Arena Sabalenka and Elena Rybakina when they faced each other in the Australian Open final. And I got them both at plus 1,000. They're both both plus 400 now, I think. Um, that's pre-tournament, <laughs> pre of course. And yeah, that was also having to do with the quick courts in Australia, Wimbledon grass plays quick. So I thought these two played great tennis. Uh, that prize won't last. So maybe that gets me into placing more futures again in the future. Okay. okay, two questions about futures then. Do you ever place them before you see the bracket or do you always wait to see what the bracket looks like? Always looking for the bracket. Yeah. And it's... is it easier to bet in a tournament where there's no clear favorite like where Djokovic is out and and it's a little bit more variance because it becomes an open tournament as opposed to you're just fading Djokovic when you're playing futures that he's in yeah okay because on the men's side I'm not sure if I'm placing a future because Novak is the favorite and there's a reason for it and yeah yeah so I do like the va variance of 
an open tournament uh, and still I'm always looking for the bracket because I can see, analyze the matchups and oh, he has a pretty nice path to the semis. But uh, books don't really adjust to that, in my opinion. They just uh, put down the players and their, their odds. And I think when you are analyzing the matchups and possible matchups, of course, it's always luck involved. But yeah, I'm always looking for the brackets. Is is live betting uh, tennis something that you do? It seems like it could be very lucrative. Yeah, so as we've already talked about the one-on-one component, it's like the ideal setup for live betting. If you see a player struggling, oftentimes the bookmakers don't really um, adjust their prices. They only adjust them when there's a major injury or medical timeout or something. And even then they just um, put the, the odds on hold and reopen them at the same price most of the time. So yeah, uh, live betting really can be lucrative. And especially if you see a player watching the match, see them losing focus or hitting unforced errors. Yeah, you can step right in uh, because yeah, as I said, bookies really, they have the algorithm um point by point but they only really adjust the odds when there's a major thing happening got it um wimbledon is on right now are you better at betting certain majors over others uh i don't believe in that um so yeah some people they do have a favorite major because that worked for them every time but yeah um I'm not the guy that, oh, that's my favorite major. I'm always winning that because like if you major the French Open or Wimbledon, it's once every year. So sample size is really small. Even if you win like five, six, seven uh, Wimbledons in a row, it's still a small sample size because, yeah. Um, Yeah, maybe you can say it for surfaces over a longer time span. And you can say, oh, my handicap on grass is not as good as on play. Um, but yeah, that does correlate with uh, correlate with majors, but uh, just majors alone. Maybe mentally, but I don't really think that's that's an issue. Okay, then as a fan, what's your favorite major to watch? Do you have one that is your, like, this is the one, this is my favorite time of year? Yeah, um, that was always uh, the French Open for me. Um, don't know why, but I always found it fascinating when players constructed their points, ran 20 miles now, but ran like 20, 25 balls and still got to the ball and hit a winner in the end. So that was always my, uh, type of, uh, tennis. I was like, uh, I was liking to watch and yeah, on clay, um, yeah, it was always my, oh, sorry. Also, my favorite player was <laughs> best on clay, Gustavo Curtin. He won the French Open in 97, 2000, 2001. And yeah, so that was like more of my favorite uh, major because Wimbledon, despite all its like prestige, I, I, I'm not a fan of like players hitting an ace preparing for the next serve for 30 seconds hit another ace so hey the easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds 
we recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sportsbook for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the interview. Um, women's and men's tennis. I'm assuming there's a lot more liquidity in men's tennis. People want to bet it more. Is it is one easier to bet than the other? In my opinion, it's not. But um, yeah, more liquidity. That's because more people are betting men's tennis. So uh, for most of them, it's easier to to bet on men's tennis, but it's because they don't care about women's tennis. So for me, um, I do uh, bet on women's tennis and follow it really closely as well. And yeah, easier, like maybe the favorites are easier to, or they are more steady on the men's side, like Djokovic, he never loses first round. And that's, but that's for me, that's also uh, an opportunity on the women's side because yeah, like I said, I'm betting underdogs quite frequently. And if you see uh, that favorite, co-favorite is uh, vulnerable or she didn't prepare too well for that tournament, that's also for me, I see it as a, an opportunity. And that's that being said, that's easier for me to, to uh, see an underdog on the women's side. Like, for example, um, Iga Shrontek, who's the number one women's player. She was on a 37-match winning streak last year. And I never really opposed her because she grew into Rafa Nadal and no one really could touch her, like mentally as well. Um, but then uh, at Wimbledon, she's not that good on grass. So there was a player that's that's okay on grass, like Alizé Cornet. And I still know I, I never oppose uh, Schwantek, but on that day, I did oppose her at plus 600. And for me, that was a perfect spot. And you don't really find that on the men's side. So yeah, like, like with every sport, the more you focus on a sport like WTA, ATP, the better you are and the, the easier it is to bet on it. Yeah. Can I ask you the dynamic of why you believe upsets happen more frequently on the women's side versus men's? And I have a theory in, in football, the playoffs is a one game uh, sample size, right? And if you are the better team for one game, uh, there's a higher likelihood of an upset versus basketball, which traditionally has, the best team or the best one or two seeds or three seeds have won all the championships over the last 30 years because in a seven-game sample size, eventually the better team will will see itself through uh, through seven games. And I know with men's tennis, it's, it's the best of five sets. And with women's outside of a select few tournaments, it's a best of three sets where you like you could get two sets up on Djokovic, but eventually he'll dig deep and, and come out of it. Whereas in women's tennis, uh, one hour, one bad hour of tennis, and you're out of the tournament. It, do you think that's the dynamic, or do you think it's something else completely? No, that's that's a very valid point. Um, of course, like if you have someone playing steady tennis for 
five, six hours if it has to be. And that is Djokovic or has been Nadal. It's so hard to beat them. Um, but yeah, I also got another point. So maybe it's just the era we are right in uh, right now uh, with the women because when when Serena Williams was um, on top, it was also the same with her. Like you couldn't beat her no matter the, the surface. But yeah, right now we we do have Schwantek, but yeah, she's not yet the player that has has been Serena Williams. So maybe that's also a bit of an error shift. Sure. Um, you you mentioned Serena. Uh who I believe is it's undisputed that she is the greatest women's tennis player of all time. Men's seems to be a little bit more disputed depending on who you ask. I'm going to just flat out ask it cuz I've he's been he's been my favorite player since Pete Sampras. I think Djokovic is the best player of all time. Do you think I'm I'm wrong in that or do you or do you think it's debatable? Yeah, so you're definitely not wrong because <laughs> objectively he has the most majors now and when it comes down to it, I think the overall majors one will decide the gold race. And with Djokovic now in front, I think there's not too much of a debate anymore. But yeah, if you go for best skill set, it's probably Federer. If you go for hardest worker, it's Nadal. And Djokovic just somehow put all the aspects together. And yeah, so I think objectively, there's no way around Djokovic. I hate Mount Rushmore questions, but I'm going to ask you one because it's such an easy way to put a perspective on what you believe are the greatest players to have ever played. If you had to make a men's and women's Mount Rushmore, the four greatest players of all time, who would what would it look like? So on the men's side, of course, obviously, Novak, Rafa, Roger. And I'm glad you mentioned him. I, I think I would go with Pete Sampras as well. Uh, had such a fun play. Um, and I also got lucky to watch him when his career was at the end, but I still got to watch him. And yeah, he also has the fourth most majors, I think, with 14. Um, yeah, so there might be some play, uh, some people um, giving it to Andy Murray because of the era, which was so good and he was competing against the big three but yeah i would also go with pete uh sorry on yeah on, on the women's side um yeah of course serena even though there's just um one major left uh for her to catch up to margaret court whom i never saw play but um if you have the most majors won even if it was much easier to win grand slams back in the day also put her up there and then as a german i have to say steffi graf as well she also won 22 one less than serena and all of them at least four times i think and then you okay i think i'd go with monica Seles because yeah she only won i don't know eight or nine majors but she could have gotten such such a big career if it wasn't for that German psychopath, I don't know if people know that story, uh, probably not. But there was a tournament in Hamburg um, and Celes was really up and coming. She won, I don't, I don't know the numbers, but seven or eight uh, majors by the age of 20. 
And Steffi Graf was on top. That by then, and there was a mentally ill German fan of Steffi Graf, and he really stabbed Salas in the back during a match. So really googled that, and yeah, she she really, really wasn't uh, the same after that incident. Didn't play tennis for two years, two years I think, and never got back to it. So that's that's the most what could could have been story in tennis yeah so i would go with her oh wow okay let's i want to pinpoint your era of loving tennis because i'm going to tell you mine and then you can figure out when i started watching my favorite uh or when i first started watching pete sampras was on top for the men's and martina hingis was on top for the women so that was the era that i started watching tennis when you started watching tennis um so i can gauge how long your fandom was who was at the top of the game when you started watching yeah, it's probably around the same <laughs> when i started watching uh, when hingis was still up and coming I, I don't think she was number one back then but okay, i so wasn't really because really, uh, i started I, watching it but i didn't really follow the the rankings or so so that's why i can't really tell you who was on number one back then but yeah probably around the same time yeah you uh we, we talked about kyrgios uh also, my fellow Greek player, Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, both of them seemingly have all the talent, but haven't put it all together. And Tsitsipas, I thought, was going to win, uh, I believe it was the French Open when he was up two sets to none. And the Joker dug deep and showed his greatness. Um, are they, what are they both missing? Like, what, what, what is the element that hasn't gotten them to the next level? And do you think it will ever happen for either one of them? So for Tsitsipas, I really think it's it's mentally, uh, ex especially after that defeat by Djokovic, uh, he never really got got to another major final, and that was his chance to like push his career and get more, um, yeah, get uh, closer to the top guys, and yeah, that's just something missing on every surface for it for him. Um, on clay, it's it's like mentally, I think. On grass, he was never that good because of his one-handed backhand. That's vulnerable, vulnerable on defense. And yeah, Kyrgios, obviously, uh, not the hardest worker out there. Mm, he did make the Wimbledon final. So if it wasn't for Djokovic there, he might have won it. Uh, yeah, but... He, Maybe he still has it in him, but uh, I don't think he cares too much about tennis to become a multiple major winner. He has probably the most talent of, of all the players, to be honest. But yeah, he also likes to enjoy his life. Fair play to him. And he's happy with what he's doing. So all good. <laughs> you, uh, you give out a lot of picks on Twitter. Um, I always want to know because I don't give out anything. Why do you do that? Is it like, is it to prove credibility, validate your action? Um, are you trying to gain betting partners? What's the intention when you, when you post plays on Twitter? So um, I'm not really doing it uh, that uh, frequently anymore. Now I started again, but yeah, I started my Twitter account on in 2016 i think and it was right around the time when i was trying to do this on a more professional level because uh, until that time i was really 
the typical typical wreck batter. So losing all the time, thinking I got everything figured out when I didn't. And yeah, with uh, Twitter that also changed because um, yeah, as as you said, Drew Dinsick was um, on the show two weeks or three weeks ago, and yeah, he formerly known as Whale Capper, um, somehow uh, discovered me on Twitter and introduced me to some other sharp minds in the tennis uh, community. And yeah, uh, so that was the first step. And then, of course, I enjoyed that. And I carried on giving out picks. And being respected by these guys really means the world to me. But yeah, to be honest, I take every little criticism after losing bet much harder than I enjoy validation after winning bet. So as you know, social media is so cruel nowadays. So, and I don't want, don't want to let that influence my well-being or betting. So when I'm not feeling it, I'm not posting uh, pics for free. I, uh, I ask that because when my friends, uh, I won't, I don't share my plays because it feels almost thankless where they they don't remember the winners, but they'll criticize and, and point out the losers. Like, does this add stress and pressure to you? Uh, and have you ever had like a sustained losing streak while doing this? And, and uh, like, how did you deal with it? Like um, it was their blowback and overall the aspect of, of riding the, negative side of variance while sharing stuff publicly yeah as i said um i'm taking it way too hard um like sometimes i can't let let go and um really um giving out picks for free they pressure on my in my head is so much bigger than just doing it um for myself and even though i've never been the guy that uh, was like a hundred likes and retweets for my next play i've never done that and that was that would only increase the pressure <laughs> so i know why i didn't do that but yeah that's also a bit of a contradiction because um maybe you know but i i started a paid service back in 2019 uh, but for me that's different because most of the people that uh, pay for the service they know the ups and downs that come with uh, betting and yeah spoiler uh, even pro betters or sharpest minds are losing. Um, but yeah, in the group, it's really, um, I can work, work calmly without having to win every bet, um, which is different on the free page, unfortunately, because the uneducated mass still expecting win every bet from the touts. So yeah, I also had my first losing year actually in 2021, but still got positive feedback from like 99% of my subs. So that really is important to me. And that makes me work uh, calmly and yeah, doesn't get me too distracted. Yeah, sorry. You say you had a losing year. So when you go through a prolonged stretch of losing, uh, does doubt ever creep in? Like, have I lost my edge? Do I, have I just been lucky for a, for a long time? And is this reality hitting me? Like, what's your mental uh, status and how do you deal with those losing streaks? Yeah, definitely. I was thinking a lot in 2021 uh, because, yeah, I think it started quite okay. But then I really had three, four months I was losing and I was losing badly. 
and of course um thoughts are creeping in and yeah as you say you think have i lost my edge have others kept up do i not read the market right anymore and yeah uh just coming back to the uh to my subs again and I, i'm really so thankful like most most of the touts are really no good people but for me it's so different because i um they really encouraged me and they they told me that it's just variance and everything will get better you so we're just unlucky you're still getting closing land value it's all the things you might not realize yourself when when you're down but yeah um then fortunately 2021 started great again and finished great as well so yeah um i'm doing this for the uh, sixth year now professionally and yeah hope hope it wasn't just a prolonged luck streak <laughs> yeah right it's you, you'll at that moment you're like three years of winning you have doubts about that and that you know that six months of losing and you're just like oh man you read too much into it um okay i feel foolish here i didn't know that you could bet on the tour de france the tour de france which is going on right now um and i should have known because it's human nature we want to bet on everything Explain to me what kind of markets uh, you can bet on in the Tour de France. So yeah, first of all, um, I'm also a fan of cycling. Uh, as, as I've said, um, when I was a kid, I was watching like every sport and cycling was uh, big back then until Lance Armstrong and like the whole peloton really destroyed it with everyone being doped. And then I came back like a few years ago, gaining interest again. And yeah, it's really slowly but surely becoming my second favorite sport um because yeah you're asking uh which markets you can bet on they are really unique markets like you can uh, bet on the stage winner like the tour de france uh, has uh, 21 stages uh it goes for three weeks um then you can bet on the overall winner who has the uh fastest time over all the 21 stages um, in France the winner gets the famous yellow jersey um, and then you have uh, alternative markets as well like best sprinter um, most of these points are awarded at the end of stages um, especially on flat stages uh, for the sprinters then best climber like there are flat stages and mountain stages um yeah and and on every mountain you can gain extra points so there's also classification for that then there's a best youth rider 25 or younger and the best team as well so a team consists of eight riders and three of them um, are eligible and the three fastest guys each stage count for the team classification so it's really fun. <laughs> you said you, you can bet on who does the best on flat ground and who does the best on the uphill. Uh, is it like how soon does do the books can the books grade it? How soon are the times official? Does it take a while or is it instantaneous? So you're talking the results after a stage? Yeah, yeah. So like I I like do they hit the stopwatch the second the flat ground starts and then the second it ends they hit it again and instantaneously they can tell you in real time 
this is who did the best on flat ground. He, this is who did the best on uphill. Or am I misunderstanding it? Uh, I think I think so. Um, so there's uh, the best sprinter. You always get points at the end of stages. So um, there are cameras everywhere, of course, and there. If it's really close, there's a photo finish, and then in the end, you see through the camera who got first, second, third, and fourth. And then the first uh, sprinter of the stage gets 50 points, the second 35, and so on. And at the end, there's a classification. Like if I don't even know if it's really 50 points, but if if one rider wins three stages, then he got one 150 points, uh, and that gets accumulated. And in the end, the one with the most points is the best sprinter. Hold on though. Is this is a stage a whole day or is a stage? Yeah. Oh, so okay. When you say st there's there's so there's days where it's just flat ground and there's days where it's just uphill. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I thought it was like uh, say you're riding for ten hours. There's a two hour stretch that's flat. There's a two hour stretch that's uphill. And I thought are they like timing? You know how in Formula One they time section sector one sector two sector three i was trying to figure out what you meant by okay. stage no it's 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 not like that they they have 21 stages and the stages like they ride for six or seven hours a day and there are stages that are just flat for the sprinters and there are stages that are uh, on a mountain finish so the the general classification gets decided on the mountain finish finishes because Obviously, um, the time differences are getting bigger uh, when it's going uphill. What about uh, what about okay data? Like I know with uh, Formula One, they got three days of practice and they have qualifying. There's things that you can uh, take into account when you're trying to figure out what bet to make. Is that a thing with cycling? Are they doing practice runs and you can pick up times? Uh, like if so, do you think people sandbag? And how do you read through that? Um, yeah, there is data out there, but it's it's really not that much. It's like they they um, measure watts per kilogram, I think. And yeah, there are there's an app called Strava, Strava, um, which most of the riders are using. So you can compare the times on different climbs or so. But I think. Um, uh, cycling is the one sport if you ask me if you're not watching it or knowing the riders you can't be profitable so um, i'm really not um taking too much on the data but yeah they all the riders like they they try to um time their form perfectly most of them for the tour de france let's say got it and and if you see uh, a rider struggle on like stage 11 or 12 they probably won't get better uh when the tour heads towards the end so yeah, you have to uh catch the form of the player uh, of the players of the riders and yeah for me that's that's the most um important thing to regard in cycling betting yeah. you know i often regard to things that people bet on is like your betting portfolio. And some people specialize in two, three sports. Like for myself, it's football, it's combat sports and it's political events. And I thought that was a little bit uh, obscure and different. <laughs> so you've got uh, tennis, you've got cycling. Is there any, is there anything else <laughs> that you have in your betting portfolio? 
Like, do you bet the oh, you bet darts too? That's <laughs> oh, that's probably fun. even more obscure. Yeah, that's fun. That looks so much fun to to bet on darts, man. Yeah, but uh, I'm honest. Um, I like with the tennis. I I rather watch a darts game without having a bet on because darts is so much fun. You enjoy all the one eighties, uh, but when you're having a bet bet on, <laughs> like all the joy is out of the of the, out of the window but yeah uh, these are my three sports and they are aren't <laughs> two yeah no, uh, I, I don't know I, the word right now but yeah i don't think there's anybody else with that kind of portfolio i thought i had one i had a strange one you've got me beat there <laughs> yeah i think so too <laughs> Vinny, I want to thank you for your time, man. This was so much fun, and I, I I loved. I think I got a better education. I don't think I'm gonna start betting tennis or cycling or darts anytime soon, but I love to learn, and, and this was a true learning experience for me. Yeah, thank you again for having me. Still feels a bit surreal, but thank you for the opportunity, and thanks for having me. Yeah, perfect, and good luck with uh, all your bets in Wimbledon. Thank you so much. That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest, Vinny, tennis better and content creator for the Hammer HQ, Ace Previews, and OnlineBetting.com. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go. I want you to like the content, subscribe, share, and comment. And if you comment, I'll comment back on your comment. We'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees podcast where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time.